0: hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the tech leadership decoded podcast the podcast where through conversations we unravel the of leadership in the tech industry and provide insights on how to become a top performing leader today we're in conversation with Alfie bottom answering the question how do you build a tech team i hope you enjoyed the conversation and if you do please remember to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite player to be notified when we go live with upcoming episodes and if you're a tech leader and would like to come and have a conversation with me about a subject you're passionate about please reach out via email at contact at techleadershipdecoder.com. And with that, let's get straight into today's conversation. Thank you for joining me today, Alfie.
1: Um, How are you doing? My pleasure, Aaron. Yeah, thank you for for having me. I'm all good. How are you? Yeah, great Um, on this, as we just said
0: before we started this lovely Monday afternoon. (laughs) Um, So today I've got you on board because we're going to be talking about how to build a tech team and potentially a tech company will see how far we get into the rabbit hole but um before we get into the into the topic why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience let us know a bit about your past and obviously why you care about building tech teams and we'll go from there
1: Sure. Yeah. So my name is Alfie Watem. I'm a London-based uh, entrepreneur and podcast host, and author and speaker. Husband, dad. I wear many, many different hats. Um, and I, my company, my main company is around building tech teams and recruiting, kind of ten x software engineers and building out top high-performing groups of people for all types of companies, from from large businesses like Google and Gymshark to small startups working in AI and the metaverse and everything in between, really. Um, And I've done that for basically my entire adult uh, life. So um it's got a little bit of a different journey and background to to most people that, that have um kind of wound up in my, in my position. Um but yeah, happy to share that story with you today and, and any advice or tips which might help the listeners as well.
0: Yeah, no no problem. You're talking about your uh background there. I Tell me if I'm wrong. Did I see that you used to be a magician, or still am a magician? Or
1: <laughs> yeah, I when I was a kid and a teenager, Aaron, I um, got into it like like most people do. Really, you get a deck of cards as a Christmas gift or something, and you can do a yeah. few tricks. For whatever reason, I, I never seemed to grow out of it. I still really loved the idea of being a kid and being able to, you know, completely. Um, blow the socks off adults and, and you know, do something which they had no idea how I was able to to achieve it. And that sense of wonder and, and excitement and happiness that you can bring to people uh, really led me to to keep doing it and keep doing it. And then before long, I was doing shows and parties and weddings and performing all around the world on television shows like Britain's Got Talent and uh, my own platform. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Did it for, for a while, built a business around it, around hiring musicians. For, for other um, events and that sort of thing. And that's kind of how I got into recruitment in a, in a weird way. Um, but yeah, a lot, lot of fun. And, and as you mentioned, definitely not the uh, origin story which most people have, <laughs> I suppose.
0: I think um, that's super, super interesting. I think that's a great way to get into anything, really. And I think if one thing that I assume that it's done is made you a great presenter.
1: I, I like to think so. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm the best speaker. You know, when, when I see like like world class speakers like, mm-hmm. I don't know, someone like Obama or something and how he's <laughs> eloquent and succinct. And I, I think I've got a long way to go till I, I, I can speak like he can. But um, the magic side definitely taught me a lot about communication around presenting around. I guess sales and marketing and entrepreneurship as well, and relationships and all of those uh, very, very important life skills. I was able to to apply mm-hmm. to um, you know my my other uh, businesses and in career to help me where other people perhaps struggled. Maybe they didn't have those skills and and, and that type of thing. So magic really, really did help for it through teaching <laughs> me those types of um, attributes. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, amazing. How
0: did you end up? building tech teams how did you end up that as that as a business from from magic to building tech teams like what was that journey?
1: Uh, I got really busy doing the uh, the magic gigs um, and it was getting to the point where I was basically being asked to be in a couple of places at the same time so I'd Mm be doing a show in London I'd get requested one in Australia or Germany or Singapore or whatever and I couldn't literally despite being magic i couldn't be in many places at the same time (laughs) and obviously i wasn't that good uh and i would essentially hire other magician friends to to do the shows for me and take a cut take a margin it's recruitment 101 i built up a magic recruitment agency business which sounds uh really cool um it's not Mm -hmm. as profitable as you would imagine it's only people working a couple of hours a week for you you know on a Friday night Saturday night sort of thing so um, a lot of fun a lot of um, a great experience doing that and a great journey but um, I realized pretty quickly that I was gonna be in a much better position if I was able to pick a sector to um, to recruit for which was a little bit more in demand than, than like magician for a corporate event, if if that makes sense. So uh, tech was always the thing, Aaron, that I I loved. And ever since I was a kid, you know, obsessed about everything from, um, you know, building websites as I did when I was, you know, 13 years old to, you know, trying to sell econ products or whatever the whatever the application was, the obsession was always there, and I used um tech, I used social media to build up my my magic business. So uh, that was the other thing that I really knew about. Um, so that's kind of where I made that shift, and and you know, thankfully it was uh, <laughs> the right decision. So I'm I've got a startup, and I'm looking to start out a tech team. Um, I know
0: that I've just identified I've got this part of it. I've got a SaaS product. I've got one guy just working on it. And it's starting to take off. I want to go out and build a team.
1: Where do I start? What does that mean? Well, it depends on what you need, really, right? Um, I have a business which recruits software engineers for for companies Mm -hmm. across the UK. So perhaps I could speak to 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 that angle. Yes. Um, I think you know a lot of the time the advice that I'll give here will be applicable to many other areas as well. But it's really important in my opinion to hire specialists not generalists when it comes to 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 tech especially if you're an early stage team and 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 that sort of thing because if you can get a developer that can do java c-sharp python ruby React, Angular, iOS, Android. Then I guarantee they can't do any of that stuff very well. Like mm-hmm. the best developers that I know are people that stick to a particular area and they master it and they become really, really good at it and then they can add value um, from that perspective. And then you know they could look at doing other things, but first they master you know uh, something as their core foundations to to begin with, right? So I think quality is something that people tend to get wrong. Aaron, they tend to try to hire too much in one individual, which makes sense mm-hmm. if they're a startup. They're trying to say you know money um, but it's much better to get people that um you know are inch wide mile deep rather than mile wide inch deep if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, so i think i think quality obviously is, is paramount i think speed is just as important though aaron because oftentimes people when they want to hire they seem to get this like power ego trip where they think okay i'm going to make all the candidates do five interviews <laughs> where they've got to do two-hour take-home technical tests they've got to do you know this weird google cultural interview where if you get like a brain puzzle question wrong then you reject it instantly so i I think speed is just as important like treat candidates like they are in demand because they are a good developer when we when we find somebody you know after a week after a couple of weeks they'll, they'll have multiple offers from from companies so you know why should that person work for you you know not why should um Sorry, why why should you be their employer? Why sh- instead of why are uh, why is the employee working for you? You know, it's it's not just a one way streak anymore. It's about you know making it work for both ways. So I'd say quality, I'd say speed, and then once again, um, just to do the logical side of it, I'd, I'd do price. You know, ultimately, uh, if you're going to hire, you do need to pay people what they're worth, um, or pay people more than what they're they're currently on. Um, I work with some clients who want to have you know, an A star unicorn, but they're paying like peanuts, right? And you're gonna you're not gonna have to get a senior if you're looking for a junior salary. So I think it's about getting those three components right. And if you can do that, you can hire some amazing people they can add a lot of value to your company, to your team, to your vision. If you get any one of those components wrong, if you don't if you are too generic, if you're too slow, if you're not paying market rate, right, then everything starts to crumble. So it's really about getting all three in in order if if that works.
0: Yeah. So, just to confirm that, was that quality, speed, and price?
1: Is that what you? Yeah. It, it's yeah. it's it's nothing that I've invented, by the way. That the, the, the yeah. USP is like one of the most fundamental parts of of business. But I often find, especially from a technical perspective, if somebody is like head of engineering or something, they haven't got that background and that understanding. So, um, oftentimes, it's uh, it's about repeating common sense because it's not always common practice.
0: Yeah, so I think that's going to be um, very apt for our uh, audience base because the, this podcast is aimed at obviously new technical leaders or people that have transitioned from uh, like a a tech role into a tech leader, or they yeah. you know come from a PM and stuff. So, like you say, not everyone has experience, especially in those free things, right? For example, if I am recruiting for my company, I don't necessarily know the prices. Of things i'm never going to know that speed yeah 100 percent probably could be quicker but you're normally stuck behind some recruitment process um, and quality now i think that's something that everyone struggles with yeah. when they're hiring so i think if we start at quality how do you uh, for your business help adjust that pool to find the right people
1: yeah well when it comes to hiring developers in my specific example quality kind of comes down to two very separate things you have quality of technical skills and then you have i guess just quality of the individual in terms of um, more of like the soft skills communication attitude etc cetera, etc cetera, right i think both are perhaps equally as important maybe the attitude is more important because it's better to get somebody who might not have the skills but is willing to learn is willing to put in the time in you know their, their free time the weekend to upskill as opposed mm-hmm. to having somebody that you know m- might be might have all the right technical skills but they're not willing to you know learn more and have the right attitude and be adaptive and, and all of that stuff so i think quality really comes down to those two areas and then i guess what you're looking for is very very subjective you know one version one person's version of quality is very different to another person's and that that just depends on what they're looking for so if a client Mm -hmm. came to me let's say google came to us and they said hey you know we really need to hire you know um you know five java developers um they need to have this this and this um finding people just with the right keywords on a resume as in you know do you have a spring boot aws etc etc that that's only going to get you so far like you need to then actually vet them not just based on keywords on a resume but actually call them do a zoom with them you know speak to them about perhaps any short gaps on on of tenure so if they've been somewhere for three months six months six months you know why try and work out the reasons why are they going to join this new company and then leave again after three months or is it a genuine reason why why they've moved on? Or is it something like um, perhaps there's, I don't know, spelling mistakes all over their CV? Or maybe it just doesn't sell itself as, as appealing to, 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 the, to the reader. Because ultimately, a CV is just a sales pitch to get an interview. I mean, the point mm-hmm. of a CV is to get an interview. The point of an interview is to get the job, right? If you break it down to first principles. So... You know, when I'm speaking with them, when I'm interviewing them, are they selling me on why they're a good fit for that position are they selling me on why they can solve the problem which the hiring manager is having and that really comes through in the interview you can't get that from a cv so uh, i guess the vetting the um the quality piece you know it, there's a many 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 different metrics to it from from references to their linkedin page to their cv to the interview to referrals uh, to the, to the tech stack to the communication you know it's a multi faceted problem to 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 solve right but i guess that's that that's the reason why companies like mine exist to to solve those problems
0: okay So perfect and i guess that just helps with speed right because you have taken the time to do that first initial um probably horrible word but culling of (laughs) of the the pool right to try and find the best um that you have and then that helps us make decisions quicker when we're hiring
1: yeah. Um and, and the speed to just add something there, Aaron. The, yeah, the speed yeah. is um is often misunderstood by um people that are looking to hire when using a recruiter because Mm -hmm. they will they will go to a recruiter they'll ask for some cvs from a very very hard to find you know skill set and you know 48 hours later they've got you know five amazing options and and they'll they'll think oh my god it it took them 48 hours to find these five options when when (laughs) in reality it took them five years to find those five options because it's their network it's it's the 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 relationships that they've built over the past couple of years maybe Mm -hmm. they were recruiting for a different company looking for a similar skill set and they had an ad up and that person applied and then they've been sitting on that recruiter's uh, database for, for a cu- couple of years and they've been building that relationship maybe they met them at a networking event maybe it was on LinkedIn maybe it was on Twitter or, or X as it's now called right so when you're paying somebody for time you want it to be done as quickly as possible but uh-huh. what you want is somebody with experience who has already done all the work so what what would take you 5 years to do they are able to do in, in 48 hours if if that makes sense
0: oh yeah 100% agree um something that i've been trying effectively over the last year as well is now that i'm starting you know in, i'm into leadership roles now i'm starting to hire i'm starting to interview for people for roles is is i have been going to a lot more kind of meetups really starting to get to know people trying to get as I, as you say that network growing so that if when i do work somewhere that requires someone, I can send out an email yeah, um, or I can just put a LinkedIn post and then I might have a selection of people that I've already talked to who are ready to go. And I've got a variety of like um, Discord channels where it's the same thing, but like you say, it does take time. Um, and I think like you alluded to a moment ago, the other side of the speed is you as the person employing your reactiveness yeah. to those people, right? Like you mentioned, making sure they don't take weeks and weeks to get back to someone. Because as we all know, it's very competitive. And you'll lose very good talent quickly. Um, the last thing you mentioned there was price. Now, I wanted to ask you, obviously, there's a big difference between a startup and some company that's been going on for a very long time that has a decent budget going with them. So with that resource constraint that a startup has, what advice would you have for founders or leaders that are trying to build out a tech team that do have a limited budget? Like what kind of things
1: can we do in that scenario? Well, you know, budget and salaries are different because a salary is one component of of that budget, right? A, Mm -hmm. A large company oftentimes can't give up equity, for example, whereas a startup can. They can give shares to their early team. They can calculate, you know, estimate what the value of that equity would be and then that that it gets included in the package a startup can have a lot more flexibility a lot of the times with job titles that they give to somebody you know instead of calling them a senior engineer when there's only one engineer in the company you know why why not call them the head of engineering or the cto or something like that which to a lot of people is worth 10 20k which you don't have to all, all it is is a, you know a word on a on a on a, on a document whereas a big company can't do that. So a lot of, you know, big companies are at an advantage if they have a great benefits package, you know, if they have that structure and specific ranges that they can work to and, and offer pretty competitive salaries. That, sal- that startups perhaps don't have that that capital to to, uh, you know, to, to give the high paying salaries and the benefits and et cetera. But, you know, they can give all the other things that I mentioned there as well. And I think another thing to keep in mind is that, you know, a lot of people that are, working for big companies they want to work for a big company and a lot of people that work for startups they want to work for a startup it's a very different type of beast i mean i I spent five years working for a big company before launching my own startup and and you know i've been doing that for the past year or so now so it's it's a completely different type of environment and culture and and way of doing it and um if you have somebody that perhaps is willing to just do anything, you know, I don't know, start up big company. I don't care. Maybe that's not the person that you want because you want somebody that knows what they want because they're very, very different worlds. If you know what I mean.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. So we've talked about obviously what we're looking for, how we, how we get out there, find it. But I think um, one aspect that I see online that people talk about a lot is culture fit. How do you use culture fit when you're trying to build a team for um a startup? Like are you looking at a bigger picture of all the say you've got the remit of hiring six people for a new a new team that are coming in for Google? I don't know. Are you are you looking at how those six people are gonna work uh, gel together during your
1: initial initial stage startup or I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't like the word culture fit. I, I prefer like culture ad because a okay, cult, culture fit just gets you in that situation, six straight white guys, probably, mm-hmm. you know, like if you want diversity, if you want equality and, and, and inclusion, and if you want these things then trying to find people that are like a replica of you is not the way to to, to do it right mm-hmm. um so i think i think culture ad is better you know how can they add to the culture you know rather than how can they fit the existing culture i think from a recruitment perspective there's only so much that you can do because you obviously don't actually work for you know google in in, in this yeah. hypothetical so i think you know a lot of the time what, what we would do is when we're speaking to the people making the decisions, the hiring managers and, and the leaders and the recruiters, trying to get an understanding subjectively of their personality and 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 how they are, and then when trying to find candidates, trying to obviously find people that will gel with that and you know make a connection, it's probably a bit more of an art than a science to be honest. When it, when it comes <laughs> to that 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 sort of thing, and you don't always get it right. Um, but yeah, I, I I've never been a fan of the word culture fit. I like culture art. I think that's a better way of, of looking at it.
0: No, that's that's great. I've actually um just did some um interview training at work and that was literally the part they added <laughs> was like don't look for culture fit, look for a culture act. So it's interesting that you also threw that out. At the beginning you mentioned what your company does and how it works, but there was a phrase that you threw out that I think is very interesting that we've not talked about before on the podcast, and I think it'd be interesting if you'd want to spend two minutes on it. And you mentioned the phrase 10x engineer. Mm. Did you wanna just
1: maybe tell everyone what that means and elaborate on that a little bit well i mean it's the the concept is it's an engineer who can do you know 10 times the amount of work in the same amount of time than like a regular um, software engineer would do i mean if we're honest it probably applies to basically anything in life there'll be 10x recruiters there'll be 10x gardeners there'll be 10x shopkeepers etc etc and i think it just comes down to the fact that um, you've got the Pareto principle, right? You've heard that 20% of your actions lead to 80% of your results. But you can find that across anything, even in nature, like 20% of the the pea pods will store 80% of the peas, you know, everything in life. It's like a, a Fibonacci, you know, mathematical, you know, mm. law of the universe. 10x engineers are no different. It's just people at the end of the day. If you if you strip away all the this is a good way of looking at it, right? Take all the money out of all the hands of the people in the world <clears throat> and then give it five years. The, the rich people today will probably be rich again in five years because it's it's what they do, what they what they know and the actions that they take which allow them to to get to that, that destination and that point. Ten X engineers, it's their personality, it's their nature. They they're the hardest working, you know, they 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 get in first, they, they stay the latest, they they do what's required. And, and as a result of that, they, they achieve the most, um, 10X engineers seems to be like a term, which is used quite a lot in the, in the dev community, but that term could be applied to basically anything, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Uh, yeah, I've definitely heard it all over, all (laughs) over the place and I've heard it argued, uh,
1: good and bad on both sides um, of, course, of course and that's so, that's, yeah. that's often what, what we look for though because if you are looking to recruit a software developer and you go out there and do it yourself maybe you up an ad up on, on LinkedIn or you ask some of your friends or whatever and you get you know a, a decent engineer then that's amazing but if you you know work with a partner which is all that's all they do you know day in day out interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people in order to, to try and find that needle in the haystack and they can give you that person that 10x engineer then it's like hiring 10 people instead of but you hire one um and one person is a lot easier to manage than 10 people as well let me, me tell you that i mean real 10xers <laughs> don't even need to be managed they kind of manage themselves to be honest but um yeah
0: no it's, it's interesting i need to I feel like um, it's like one of those subjects that you, again, you could spin off into a whole episode on, so I won't delve much more into it. But um, what role do you think leadership plays in building a successful team?
1: Well, oftentimes, if somebody in the team is not doing as is required, the question is, is it down to that individual or is it down to the leader? And mm-hmm. I think that in the vast majority of situations, it's down to the leader, really. You know, the, the leader has to set the vision, you know, has to inspire the team in terms of this is the outcome. This is where we need to get to, whether that's a, a financial target that they're working towards in like a sales environment, whether that's a product, you know, something being built in like a, a dev team, you know, or whatever, right? They set the vision then they need to inspire the troops to go along on that on that on that journey with them and you know allocate okay you've you got to do this part you've got to do this part but if we all do our part together then we get to our, our final result into our finished goal. I think oftentimes in the in the dev world where the mistake is made is they just put the best programmer in, in charge of the 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 team, right? And uh-huh. that that's great, but people skills and tech skills are two very very different things and you can be the best coder in the world but you can also be the worst manager in the world so mm-hmm. the best you know development manager is not oftentimes the best dev it's it's a different skill set and i think being a leader comes down to those points that i mentioned it's about vision it's about strategy it's about collaboration it's about in- inspiring people and i think fundamentally It's about holding people accountable. And this is the part where people tend to forget in leadership. When somebody's doing a great job, everybody can praise good performance. Everybody can walk around and go, amazing, you've done that, you've hit that on time, well done. The part that people struggle to do is the slapping people on the wrist when they need to be told off and if somebody isn't doing well you know gathering uh them quietly and telling them what what you know what could be done to be improved and upskilling them and mentoring them that's the difficult part that's the part that people get wrong and then obviously unfortunately Ex, you know um dealing with underperformers and exiting them out of a, out of a company if, if is needed where most people if they are told they need to fire somebody they'd, they'd freak out they wouldn't even know where, where, where to start right uh-huh. so i think mean, being a leader is very different to being a developer um, it's very hard for most developers just due to their personality to to, to do that um, but the ones that can can you know go off and and do that if they want to it's, it's part of their careers
0: yeah, no, hundred percent agree. The good thing you there is you threw out a few good um words, and we could definitely spend time going into each of them, like vision, strategy, inspiration, inspire, um, accountable. But I think one um I'd like to just try and jump into a little bit is do you have any kind of um experience or some tips on how leaders can inspire that team? Because I think that's the one a lot of people really forget. I've worked in a lot of places where you don't ever feel like your management are there for you or helping you, encourage you to get over the finish line or, you know, it becomes a monotonous kind of day job of coding, coding, coding. Yeah. So do you have anything on that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, inspiring is, is largely down to winning hearts and minds. And I think where people tend to go wrong is they just focus on the minds part. And the minds part is a a little bit easier, really. You know, you talk about the goal, talk about what we're trying to achieve, talk about your part in that puzzle. and logically, it makes sense and, and they can do it. And it's, you know, in the, in your mind, you know what you're doing, you know what you're going after. I think the part where leaders tend to, to, to forget is about the hearts and, and they don't win the heart. And the way to do that is to, you know, I, I I guess get them to become a friend just as much as they are as an employee. So uh-huh. I often would take a team for, for a walk outside. And first question is, you hey, look, how are you? Immediately. Everybody's gonna start telling you about the project. They're like, Oh yeah, yeah, it's going well, we're doing this and just 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 stop stop a second, right? How are you? How how is how's life? How's the missus? How's the kids? What did you do last weekend? If you can get somebody to open up and trust you as a friend then you've got the the heart part is is there and and by the way this isn't like some like manipulation to try and (laughs) you know coerce them. you know ultimately if they're there working in, in that job they've got a job to do and you've got a job as their manager right so unlocking the heart as well as the mind will get somebody to work towards what you want them to work towards, but actually they'll want to do it. They'll they'll, they'll enjoy the work if 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 they feel like you've got their back and and they've got yours. If, if they feel like you know you as a manager trusts them and and gives them the ownership and the accountability to make it happen, that's what's going to decrease retention and make people want to stick around. You know when people enjoy. People don't leave their family, right? You, you never hear about, oh, I'm going to leave this family to go to this family. Well, sometimes, but that's more of a, an unfortunate thing, Aaron, rather than like a rule, right? But people leave companies all the time. People will happily leave a company and go to another company because people aren't, they don't feel like it's their family. Family might be the wrong word to use in that circumstance. I'm not trying to say build a cult or, or something like that, right? But um, <laughs> a place where you really, really enjoy to work is a place that puts hearts over minds, if, if that works.
0: Yeah no yeah definitely I definitely feel like um, there used to be a time where a job was a career and people would go there and feel like they were part of something and it was they would want to be there for 10 20 30 years yeah and it definitely what I've seen in the last 10 15 years that I've been working is just people like jump around all the time and it and like you say it, some places it's because of a manager some places it's because of the product or a lot of time, it's just boredom. Like if you're doing the same thing over and over again, that can be a thing as well. So I think, like you say, trying to find the heart and the mind of the, each individual is definitely a great um for, for your team members and then trying to figure out how they can all work together. Yeah. Um. Do you have a, it can be a success story or it can be a failure story of like um when you've found it difficult to get a team together for a client or even in an individual aspect of your life
1: yeah sure um so what in, in what context a team that I've built of developers or recruiters or or what any I'm... of them right like if you've if you've you've you set out with a
0: challenge of to building a new team whether that was of your magicians um <laughs> uh, recruiters and everything but then you found that the approach you take you' taken might have been slightly off or you got the wrong people or sure. Like, um, once you're in that situation, if you have been, how do you think you can get around bringing that back on track or
1: I'll give you an example before I had my own company, I spent five years working for a, a huge corporate, um, recruitment agency, mm-hmm. um, started there as a trainee worked my way up. When I finished, I was, uh, in charge of the UK and islands, uh, software development business, you know, over 50 people offices all across the UK and. Ireland, India, um, and I think one of the main challenges that that I had in that role was a lot of the teams that we had were very, very, um, I guess, how do I put this? Um, the, the people didn't have any motivation or drive or, or mm-hmm. willingness to, to want to really, really go after it. And I think the, the, the problem that had been followed prior to, to, to this change, which I'll talk about, is that basically everybody was unfairly labeled as being motivated by money, which I think for a lot of people is the case. And I think for myself, I think that's that's definitely one of the motivations. But I think for, for everybody, it would be a bit of a blanket statement. Not everybody is motivated by money. But I think at the time that was the way that they were managed so the carrot was you do this you get this commission check for example mm-hmm. this is in the context of recruitment obviously um, rather than developers but um, you know and trying to build these teams of recruiters if if you're waggling a, a carrot in front of them but they don't they're not really that interested in carrot maybe they're like broccoli <laughs> or something instead right then you've then you've got the wrong motivation you've got the wrong lure you know you've got the mm-hmm. wrong thing that they're that they're, that they're working towards so oftentimes It's not even about replacing the people. Oftentimes, it's not even about replacing the systems. You know, oftentimes, it's not even about replacing the the business. It's about replacing the incentive. And if instead of it being about money, if instead, every time that you have, you know, secured a, a position for somebody, you can talk about the fact that that can literally change somebody's life. Like, if you get somebody the the job of their dreams, you can change their entire life. And that can change their family's life. If they've got kids, it allows them to, you know, go out there and live a better life and be happier. It also can can transform the organization. You know, we, we did some great work with, like, uh, health tech companies, for example. And if you can get a great developer on that project that can build something which can save lives... Then that is an incredible feeling at the end of the day. So instead of talking to this person in, in the one-to-one meetings about, hey, you're gonna make this much money, you're gonna do this, and just seeing them not really that interested, instead of talking to them about, look, you could you can change this person's life, you can transform this organization. This this company creates medicine which can cure cancer patients. You know, you could be a big part of that process. Suddenly their eyes get bigger suddenly they get hungry suddenly they get smart so like i say if you want to build a a team and you're having trouble you're having challenges just look at the incentives are the people that are within the team motivated by the message that you're repeating and if they're not then change the message because uh you know oftentimes it's something literally as simple as that
0: Hmm. no that's perfect i think that's a great way to circle and finish off that that aspect of it so yeah amazing thank you for um, really going into deep deep detail there about like building up that team I think personally I think it's just one of those things that will take a very long time to um, really master and I think I don't even know if you ever can master it I think I don't think you can important part I wanted to take a moment I do want to talk about your business and a few things that you do so First of all, you have your own company. Um, is it Alpha Technology? Is that is that the name of it?
1: Yeah, Alpha, yeah. I guess, would be my um, Alpha. Okay. holding thing, and then yeah. within that, I've got Alpha Technology, which which makes almost all the money. That's the recruitment part, yeah. and then I do other things from from uh, books to podcasts to mm-hmm. newsletter, speaking, some coaching. But uh, the recruitment is is kind of mm-hmm. what I've spent the past you know almost decade doing now.
0: Yeah. So I thought we'd just take two quick moments just to um, just talk about your book and your podcast. So okay. I'd like to, I'd like to share as much as I can for the people that come onto the, onto the podcast as well. So if you want to just tell us what what was your book about? <laughs>
1: um, obviously I know, but <laughs> sure. it doesn't. So. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, I've you know been being very, very lucky in, in recruitment that 90 90- Five percent of what you're doing as a recruiter is speaking to people and, and networking and building relationships. And um, I've had, you know, the the luck really to meet some of the most talented people in the world, from from you know the top AI specialists to people that are running massive, massive companies, you know, with with billions and billions and billions of, of pounds or dollars if you're American. Um, to best-selling authors and everything in between so I've met, I've met you know an incredibly collection of people that are way smarter and talented than i am and I, i'd always ask them you know i don't know why more people don't but like hey what how do you do it like what what's the secret like what's what what are the, like the top things that, that you'd that you would do if you were in my position and, and i just spent years and years collecting a notebook of, of ideas from from the, the greatest minds in the world and then i i put them together into a simple collection of habits routines i think the weird not almost not weird but the the thing is if you ask a hundred you know millionaires how to become a millionaire almost like 80 of them will give you the same answer and Mm -hmm. that's what i found when when doing the book so I, i was able to um take the the answers uh to how how did you become successful or some variation of that of that phrase uh and i put it down to basically seven you know key Lessons, rules, which if you apply, if you follow, you will achieve more success in your business, in your life, in, in basically any area. And it, and I, I've I've taken these ideas and and applied them to my own life, and um, you know, been able to um, to make it work. So I, it's a very simple set of routines, habits, hacks, life tools, which if you apply hopefully will help you in whatever you're trying to do as well. And I don't take any credit for them. They're, they're, they were borrowed and stolen <laughs> by people greater than me, but I've, uh, I've done all the hard work of, of, of collecting them and, and putting them into a structured system blueprint, which if you follow mm-hmm. can, can help you out as well. Cool. And
0: that's Trust in Alpha 7 Simple Rules for Success. Yep, that get that? it from yep.
1: anywhere. What I'll make sure I link phone?
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously you just mentioned there because because of your 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 job and your exposure to all of these people you also have a podcast as well yeah and I, I watched a few episodes since I've I haven't caught up on all of them I'm getting there but um since I met you online so do you want to just tell everyone again just kind of plug that so they know what that is and yeah, I'll, we'll, obviously I'll link it in the show notes as well We'll, we'll done
1: like 120 30 episodes or something yeah, now. got a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've, been, I've been doing it for a couple of years now for maybe four, three and a half years or something um, where I've interviewed everybody from, um, I mean it's a tech podcast so you know mm-hmm. DHH the creator of Ruby on Rails mm-hmm. did one the other week with Harry Stebbings uh, 20VC guy he's you know, a super popular podcast and a tech fund um, to people like Peter Wang on the Python side um, and just hundreds of, of very talented CTOs, founders, heads of engineering and, and, and so on and, and basically we, we talk to leaders in tech about everything from what's happening with digital trends, from AI to the metaverse to blockchain and, and, and beyond. And we also talk about how those people have built their companies, how they built their teams, ideas and lessons that, that you can take away from that as well. So um, I, I would say the podcast is probably aimed at uh tech and business type people mm-hmm. um and yeah we've been doing it now for a couple of years and and been very lucky to have some some really really great conversations with um people from you know best selling authors to world class investors and and everything in between
0: awesome i'll make sure i share that in the link as well um now before i we wrap up and um get you to just share your socials and links about there's one question I ask everyone when they come on. I ask everyone if you could recommend one book and it doesn't have to be a tech book. It can be, you know, I always say it could even be Harry Potter, right? It can be any book you want, but if you could recommend one book to give to someone to read,
1: what would you pick? Well, I'd, I'd probably be, be biased and, and give them my own book to be, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but if I didn't pick my own book, um, you know, I'm, I'm a massive reader i always have been and and i'm pretty sure i always will be um i do like a, one audible audiobook like every week to two weeks uh-huh. and then i'll always mm-hmm. read like a physical book every week to two weeks as well so um i i try and get through like i would say like 40 books a year i That's i, I good, try good effort. now a lot of them are uh re um reading books that i've already read if there's something that i really like i will read it many many times to to, mm-hmm. to, to try and get the points down um and i've you know i've, I've read a couple of hundred books now uh, around business and tech. I think my favorites of all time would, do um, you want me to recommend one or, or I'll give you a if couple? You,
0: if you want to do a couple, you're more than welcome. I just have to make my bookshelf longer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if people haven't um, read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, that is um, exceptional. That's the story of, of Nike uh, or Nike, and, and how, he, how it was built from nothing to, to what it is today. Um, I think Steve Jobs' autobiography by by Walt Isaacson is, is, is a classic. Um, and then, obviously, my, my own book as well. Um, yeah, no, it'll I mean, be on there. <laughs> there's, so, there's so many depending on the area that you're talking about. If you want to talk about business, you know, some of the classics like Think and Grow Rich or How to Win Friends and Influence People, um, Seven habit habits of highly effective people stephen covey mm-hmm. it's great i mean there's so many on the tech side fiction like like ready player one It's a great book on uh, the future and like what, what vr could become i mean i've got i really have got an endless list but those are just oh. some, some that come to mind mate
0: well that's perfect we've got a nice nice couple there um, and i'll put onto the bookshelf i'm actually currently in the process of building the new website for the podcast okay. and there will be an actual bookshelf <laughs> where I'll link to all the books that everyone's mentioned in each episode. Um, yeah, so I just want to say thank you for coming on. I know how busy you are and it's been great getting to know you and meet you. So before we go, do you just want to let everyone know where they can find you online? And
1: Yeah, yeah. I think just if you just go to my website, so al- com. I've got a difficult spelling on the surname, so it will be in the description or something. Yep. Um, and if you click there, it will link you to all of my other socials so rather than trying to list all of them just go to that one website and it will have x and youtube and the gram and all of the ones that people know and love <laughs> will be on there as well i did have freds on there as well for a little while but it doesn't seem to have uh have taken off as much as Zuck would have hoped perhaps with with people sticking around <laughs> had an amazing uh, first week and then it's kind of crumbled afterwards. So um, Mm -hmm. don't follow me on threads, follow me on the other ones that are are (laughs) going to survive.
0: Perfect. No, thank you for joining me. Thank you.
1: Cool. Thank you, Aaron.